Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. What a song service and what a time of worship we have had. I'll tell you, praise God. I, 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 I tell you this many times, brother, and I mean it. Uh, what a worship leader. Now, there's a lot of guys can entertain. And there's a lot of people stand up in a lot of churches and they do a lot of flailing around, a lot of great... Nobody worships in that time. But I'll tell you, I appreciate Greg Harry and his sense of the Spirit leading and inviting the Spirit to come into this place because I'll tell you what, maybe it's because I need it more than the rest of you, but I'll tell you what, I feel it Sunday after Sunday and I want to thank our praise team and everything they do. Thank you, Brother Ertie, for coming back. I'll tell you, <laughs> you get on vacation and sometimes you think, I don't know if I'm gonna go back or not. But I, I believe he does because he loves you all. And uh, you know, pastoring can get to be like a lot of jobs, but more so in pastoring, I think, because you've got so many bosses. But I tell you, pastoring can sometimes get to be a great, and ministering can get to be sometimes a great burden. And you're just not anymore. You're just not sure. But uh, if you love the people, and he loves his people, he loves you all. Even though we're glad that you're back with us. And that a voice. And I don't know if it'll work out or not. Fellas, is there something I need to do? All right, so we're going to be on this mic. Is that right? Yes, one thing. All right, I'm going to leave this on, so if it works that way, it will. This morning, we want to speak to you on this subject. There are three kinds of people. Now, these three kinds of people were brought to my attention by a fellow I used to work with out of South Central Rural Telephone. He kept telling me about what Uncle Earl would say, and I would listen to him about what Uncle Earl would say because Uncle Earl was what a lot of people called my dad, Earl Thomason. And he would say, Uncle Earl says this or says that. And one of the things that he said Uncle Earl said that just captured hold of me because when I heard this, I thought, that'll preach. And this guy out of South Central said to me, he said, you know, Uncle Earl always used to say there are three kinds of people. There's the caught, the uncaught, and the about to be caught. And that's the way you can describe all the people in the world. The caught, the uncaught, and the about to be caught. This morning, we want to think about those three kinds of people, and more specifically, I want us to think this morning about who's doing the catching, who it is that's doing the calling, and what state we're in before God calls us and catches us, and what state you might be in this morning. I want you to listen to his voice. So it's my custom, I want us to stand together, except I can't come down there with you this morning. I want us to stand together, and I want us to stand before the Lord this morning. Remember, I tell you, you don't stand before me. I don't stand above you. We stand all on the same level. We stand before the Lord this morning. We've already stood there as we've sang and invited the Lord to come into our heart. And now in the preaching of his word, we want to hear from God. 
I don't particularly want you to listen to me, but I hope I say enough that the Holy Spirit takes what I'm going to say and takes the Word of God and applies it to your heart because that has changed me. And I know it will change you. So let's pray together. Father, we stand before you, not because we're worthy. We stand before you, Lord, to worship you. And more specifically, in this moment, in this hour, we stand before you to hear your word. And I stand before you, Lord, to hear your word and to hear what you might say through me. I pray, Heavenly Father, you'll open our hearts. I pray, Lord, you'll open our very souls that the convicting word may come upon us, the convincing word may come upon us, that your word of judgment and of mercy and of great love in Christ Jesus may fall upon this congregation this morning. We pray, Heavenly Father, that the lost might be saved. We pray, Lord, those that are struggling might find relief this morning and surrender to you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that for those who may be away from you and think they're hidden and nobody knows, we pray, Lord, you may call them out today because you love them. And we know if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May it be so in Jesus' name and be seated. I want you to look with me this morning in Genesis, the third chapter, verses 1 through 15. And I realize we sort of truncated what we're going to read. We'd read on a little further and find out what he said about Adam and his life. But I want us to look at God's role in the Garden of Eden here. That's where I want us to begin because we're going to start talking about the uncaught. How is it that we got to be uncaught, lost, if you will? How is it that mankind got to be to the place that he was supposedly wild and free? Why does man need to be caught? Well, we know that the world was created. Man was the pinnacle of God's creation. He had fellowship with God. He was assigned a mission by God. And he was the caretaker. He was the overseer of all that God had created. God gave him a mission. And he gave the woman a mission as they were together and as they were working together. And so this particular passage begins with Eve out one day doing one of her assignments and that was to gather food. And she was looking about all the trees of the garden. You know, they'd been said, now you can eat any trees of the garden you want to, but this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of it. So Eve is out doing her thing. She's sort of at the Houchins food store. She's out gathering and doing what many of you women have done all this holiday weekend. And uh, you're out gathering, you're out doing, you've selected what your family is going to eat. Chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said, the serpent said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Remember, she's already gathering. And the woman said to the serpent, Oh, now from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. Satan did a masterful job here. He's interrupted the woman in her mission. She's done this before. She knows what's good and what's bad. She knows what fruit is there. Satan comes and he begins 
his line, his sales line, if you will. And the first thing he lets that woman do is he lets her be an expert. And she's an expert about what she can pick and can't pick. And she knows what the Lord said. She may never have heard the Lord say it, but she heard what Adam told her to do. And she said, oh, oh no, oh no, you're wrong. I know what I'm talking about. We can't eat of this one tree that God says we can't eat of here in, in the Garden of Eden. And uh, he sa she says we can't touch it even or we'll die. Now the Lord didn't actually tell that to Adam, but that's what she said. And the serpent said to the woman, and he's going to close the trap, you surely will not die. Surely you won't die. Let me tell you a secret. Satan always deals in half-truths. They ate it, and they didn't die. Young people, somebody says to you, take this. You're not going to be an addict today. And they're right. Today, you won't be. Satan says, you will not die. You surely will not die, for God knows. And this impugns all that God had told them, and this is where we really get to where the real sin is committed. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I don't know how much the woman thought about that. I don't know what Eve's internal dialogue was, but it goes on to say, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Both are culpable. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Verse 8. They're uncaught at this point. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, just like you might do on a garden path or a state park. In the cool of the day, you go walking. God had done it many times, I think. This was something familiar to him. Oftentimes they met him there. And the man and his wife hid themselves from his presence among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called to man. And he said to him, Where are you? God knew where Adam was. God knew the whole thing. Adam didn't know where he was. Adam was at that moment lost and apart from God. He didn't understand that yet. God understood it. When God comes and speaks to you, he oftentimes will ask, do you know where you're at? How did you get here? Not because God doesn't know, because he wants us to know. He wants us to understand how it was we got here. What were the decisions we made that got us here? And now God is here to say, where are you? And he said, 
Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself and God said, question you already knew. And who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Of course, the man says, you know, well, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of that tree and I did eat. Well, bless her heart, she was deceived. Adam just did it. And I wonder why he did it. Well, perhaps it's like a lot of us. A woman said, eat this, and we eat it. A woman says, don't eat that, and we don't eat it. I think it was more than that. Adam knew what went on. He saw what was happening. And just as she was lured into understanding that this feels really good to know the things I know and to have the power I have and to realize this image of God in me has now risen up and now I am better than I was. And Adam did the same. One is as culpable as the other. Then the Lord God said to the woman, here it comes. Here comes the curse. What is it you've done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you more than any of the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you'll go and dust you'll eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, listen to this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now that's the first thing we hear about the promise of what God's gonna ultimately do about this. He, capital H, he, this seed of the woman, who is who? Church, Jesus Christ. This seed of the woman will bruise your head and you shall bruise him on the heel. What an understatement because we know what the cross looked like. We know what the cross and our sin and our rebellion and the sins of the whole world looked like. It wasn't just a stone bruise on the heel. It was a massacre. It was torture. It was a terrible thing. He will bruise uh, your head. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you'll bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then he goes on and tells Adam, and you're going to work, and you're going to work, and you're going to work in the sweat of your brow, and everything you plant's going to have weeds, and then you're going to use some kind of herbicide, and that's going to give you cancer, and you are going to suffer, and you're going to die. my translation man became separated from God and let me tell you folks it wasn't the fact that they picked some fruit that they shouldn't have picked it was the fact that their disobedience and the kind of fruit it was separated them from God the issue here is not their act the issue here is they had a broken relationship once they had fellowship with God and now they had no fellowship with God. Now God was stepping into their life and saying to them, this is what's going to happen to you. The most joyous thing of your life, he tells the woman. This intimacy with your husband is now, even though your children 
Your children are going to be a burden to bear. And what happened to Eve? It wasn't long before the boys went to church and had an argument and one killed the other. My translation. What do you think that did to Eve? On this memorial weekend, those of you who've gotten word that your beloved child has gone to battle, that your husband or your wife has gone in a battle somewhere to defend the freedoms we enjoy in this country, and somebody comes to your door and says, I'm sorry, but they have perished in that battle. If you're a mother, you understand what it is to lose that child, the great wound that is there. Well, this wasn't about an apple. This was about the fact that it placed man in the position that he was now separated from God. That every war, that everything that man desires, he would no longer be able to walk in the cool of the evening and find the counsel of God. Now he had to research it all out himself. Every vaccine that's ever been created to battle any disease, and we're not through with them, every vaccine has had to come at a struggle and a cost because we've had to test it and know if it's right. And then in this case, we wouldn't have all the testing we'd like to have. We had to take the risk in order to survive, in order to take the vaccine, because why? We didn't have the knowledge of God. We decided to do our own knowledge. Now we've struggled. Is this right? Is that right? Should I do this? Should I do that? But what did God do? Oh, there was the curse. But God said, now you're ashamed. You've never known that, and I never intended for you to know shame. Shame's a serious matter. Do you realize at the base of every addiction, at the base of every addiction is shame? You may be listening to me this morning. Your addiction has consumed you. It's consumed your family. It's thrown you out of the Eden you had. And at the basis of that, when you think about getting help or somebody talks to you, you say, not me, you don't understand my condition. You don't understand where I'm at. I'm gonna tell you right now, God understands and calls you from that place. And many times in addiction, he's the only one that can help. They had to be caught because they were lost and away from God. What did God do in his mercy? He said, I'm gonna take care of this. You thought you've ruined man. I'm gonna bring a man into this world. It's gonna be of her seed. He didn't tell Adam it was gonna be of his seed. He said, it's gonna be of her seed and he is going to stomp on your head. And that's before I get a hold of you in the final judgment. He is going to stomp your head like my grandpa would a snake. I run from him. And what else did God do? Oh, he saw the fashions that they'd made to try to cover their shamefulness. And God said, oh, that'll never work. I'm gonna kill some animals. There's a sacrifice, isn't it, because of their sin? I'm gonna kill some animals and I'm gonna make you a covering. And then, men, you know what that meant. Then the fashion industry started and you've got to decide and have the knowledge to dress the right way and to have the right thing. And then it put man in that condition when she turns and says to you, does this deer skin make me look big? 
It's all part of the curse. You think, you think that Eve had something to negotiate. I'm telling you, when your wife asks you that, you've got something to negotiate. My best thing for you to say is nothing. Act like you didn't hear, and I'm getting to that age where I can do that because I don't hear half the time. I'm getting to that way. I'm telling you, we needed to be caught. We were lost. We were separated from God. We lost our relationship with God. But I want you to understand that God, even then, was calling man. Even among the curse, he was calling us to himself and making provision. Today, God is speaking. God is speaking. What does God say throughout the scripture that he's looking for man? The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the seed of that woman, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus said, I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus said to those fishermen he was calling by the Sea of Galilee, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I have a catch for you because I am seeking people for my kingdom. I am seeking men and women to have relationship with me and God wants us, the church, and you, no matter who you are, to be a part of that. Catch, catching men and women in their sin that they might be forgiven, that they might have a restored relationship with the Father is God's business. So our natural state is that we need to be caught. We are uncaught. You remember Nicodemus in the third chapter? Nicodemus was an uncaught man, but he thought he was fine. Nicodemus went to all the Jewish services. He sang. He was touched by God. He probably led in prayer. He heard other people lead in prayer. He was touched. There wasn't anything wrong with Nicodemus's relationship with God as far as he was concerned. He was a scholar of the law, the Old Testament law and the prophets. And then he heard Jesus speak and he heard the message of those Old Testament prophets so clearly spoken of redemption that religion wasn't always just what you did and what you did and what you did and it wasn't always just obedience or disobedience but he heard the grace and mercy of God and he heard that voice when Jesus spoke and so one night he winds up probably on the roof of a building at the time of the year some Bible scholars say when the winds began to blow in that was going to bring the rain in just a little while and they were standing up on that building and Nicodemus wanted to know how he was going to get in the kingdom of God and here they stood up on that house in the night here's the way I see it happening they're standing up there in the wind their robes are moving and he says to Jesus now how can I be in the kingdom of God how can I have what you're talking about and Jesus says Nick you got to be born again well how can that happen and I'm just summarizing here, but while the wind was blowing, Jesus said, you've got to have a birth of the Spirit. You see this wind here? You see this pneuma? You see this ark that's blowing all around us, that's moving us right now and among us? You don't know where that wind's coming from. You don't know where it's going, and so is the Spirit of God. But the Spirit of God can bring a change in your life that will help you to know God like you've never known before because it restores your relationship. Nicodemus, to that point, was uncaught. 
but he understood that the Spirit of God had been speaking to him in the words of Jesus and had been speaking to him since he was a boy in the Old Testament, in the prophets and so forth. And Nicodemus, I believe, gave his heart to the Lord right then. You may find that quite to your surprise, God is speaking to you. You may say, well, I know when I got saved, God was speaking to me, but you may be quite surprised that God is now calling you to do something for him that you did not think you could do. And it may be big or small, but you've been struggling with God about that. You may be here today and you know that you are what we call lost. Like back in the Garden of Eden after the sin, you're separated from God. Oh, you like God, you know about God, you like the songs you hear this morning, you're listening on TV, you're listening on YouTube, you wouldn't be gotten this far into the service if you weren't really interested. And in that, God begins to nag at you and begins to speak to you and you say, something needs to be done here. And those words that our society thinks are so archaic, you must be born again suddenly you understand what they mean. What do they mean? I'll tell you what it meant when Jesus said it to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, God needs to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. God has something in mind for you and has had it since the foundations of the world. That God wants to redeem you. Good man though you are, you are lost. They're about to be caught. You remember old Zacchaeus, don't you? I don't guess there's any better summation of that than Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus, of all people, a tax collector, a traitor, a Jewish person who was working for the Roman government. And what was he going to do? Well, the Roman government said, among this people right here in this district, we want this much money. You get that much money, and as much as you can get out of them above that, that's yours. And I'm telling you, the tax collectors were hated by the Jewish people because they were in cahoots with the Roman government, whom they hated. The last person that anybody would have expected Jesus to go to dinner with that day, especially in a, in a Jewish Eastern culture, would have been Zacchaeus. Nobody would have wanted Zacchaeus in their home. And if he did come, they said, hide all the chickens and cover up the swimming pool because he's going to tax us clear out of our gourd. No, you all have never done that, but that happened back then, I think. And Jesus did what? I don't know what he did, Ernie. I don't know what he said to him. We're not told. But we know in other places in the scripture, when Jesus sat down with people and began to talk to them, they had a realization that God was speaking to them. That God in this man, Jesus, was speaking to them. That everything they'd heard in synagogue school somehow was coming to fruition right here before them. And we know something marvelous happened. He was born again because he stood up at the end of that conversation and said, Lord, I tell you, if I've taken anything unjustly from anyone and stolen from them, I'm going to do what the Old Testament law says I can do, I should do. I'm going to restore them fourfold. <laughs> Here's little old Zacchaeus 
a wee little man. He had been made fun of by people all his life, I think. There was nobody going to give him a, a shoulder to stand on in order to see Jesus. He was hated. And here, something happened to him. Here we have a transformed man who was living by greed. He had had that apple. He had had that fruit too. The knowledge of good and evil. And he had found out a way to make himself bigger and taller than anybody else in town. And suddenly with a conversation with Jesus, he has changed. Jesus said, you know, Zacchaeus, you're saved in that you're also a son of Abraham. You're saved. What happened? Well, just what Jesus told Nicodemus would happen. Nick, something's got to happen to you that you can't do. It's the Spirit of God who you don't understand, who none of us understand. He did, but no man understands had come into his life and swept his sin clean and he had repented of his sin and made himself right and then there's about to be caught and then there's the caught apostle paul in the scripture in the book of acts if ever there was a guy caught it's the apostle paul hated christianity Undoubtedly he hated Christ, he hated all Christians, he was on his way to kill them. And a blinding light comes to Paul, and it blinded him. He could not literally see. And Jesus catches Paul in the act of going to kill Christians. And he says to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against those sharp sticks. He compared the guy who wrote most of the New Testament to a dumb ox who they put sticks because the ox would kick back and they put sharp sticks there. The old ox, if it was a stubborn one, he'd just keep kicking against those sticks. It wouldn't do him any good. He was still going to have to do his job anyway. Some of you who had the Holy Spirit speak to you, you've struggled with the Holy Spirit for a long time. You know what Paul was going through. Paul was hearing himself challenged and he was kicking and kicking and kicking against those sharp sticks. He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. Here's where I want you to go and I'm going to have a guy come and talk to you. Paul, who could see everything, oh, the knowledge he had of that tree of good and evil. He had all of that knowledge. He knew the law. He knew what was right and what was wrong. The Holy Spirit speaks to him. And he changed his whole political view about what was going to happen in the world. People he hated, Christians and Gentiles, he loved and devoted his life to being one of the great spokesmen and callers of men from darkness into light. I wonder today if God's not calling you, is not speaking to you into the place you're in. You may not see a blinding light and perhaps you'd pray for it, but nonetheless, God is speaking and you're struggling. You may think you're hidden from God. The Vaughns, who grew up down here on Sunset Avenue, been in their home several times. I knew some of those children I'd visited in that home. When Mrs. Jewel Vaughn died, Michael, well, the youngest son, I think, 
told a story there at the funeral home with us standing around. He said, I'll tell you what, my mother knew everything I was doing. It didn't matter where we kids went. When we got home, she told us where we had been and she told us who we had been with and she told us what had gone on. And she said, that grated on me. He said, I tell you, I was so, I, I just, it just grated on me. And he said, I'll tell you what happened one day. One day, nobody knew where I was at. Nobody that could tell my mother where I was at. I got on a boat, a houseboat, down on Barren River Lake that nobody knew I was on. Nobody knew how I got there. Nobody that we knew had gotten me there. I was there, and he said, I'll tell you what, I thought I had arrived. I felt so good about myself. I was at a place that my folks wouldn't want me to be, and where he was at when he described it was a floating Playboy mansion. That's where he was at. And he said, I felt so good. I had, I had finally arrived. I was free. He said, I climbed those narrow steps and got up on top of that boat with an open bar and with scantily clad women. And he said, I had made it. Now, let me tell you, folks, there is about 130 miles of shoreline on Barren River Lake. 130 miles stretch it out straight and that's from here to somewhere two counties up in Indiana can you imagine he was isolated nobody knew where he was at and I got up on the top of that boat and I looked around and could not believe my eyes because on the shore was my mother who didn't even drive and she was standing there doing this And he knew what she said. He couldn't hear you, Michael, get back here right now. And he said, she doesn't even drive. How could she possibly have gotten there, much less know where I'm at? And then he said, I saw my sister standing over there. She drove, she'd brought her down there, but how did they know? He said, I told that guy who owned that boat, you're gonna have to take me over to that woman. You're gonna have to take me right now. He said, this is $120,000 aluminum hulled boat I am not taking you over there by that rocks he said let me tell you something fella if you don't want to see that woman walk on water over here to this boat you get me over there and he took his runabout and took him over there don't you think that if a mother who loves her children like Eve loved those two boys she had don't you think that if a mother who didn't even drive and essentially was homebound herself could find a child that was lost, that God can find you. And I'll tell you, he's not shy about it or waits till tomorrow. He's finding you right now. Right now. Right now. I want you to listen to God. Because from the very beginning, no matter how bad the sin, no matter how bad our betrayal to God, no matter how selfish we have been, God calls us to repentance in his love and his mercy and his grace. Let's stand together. Let's let God speak to us in this song. Brother Greg, come and lead us if you will. Our musicians are coming. Let's stand together again, standing before God. I want you to listen to what God is saying to you and respond this morning. Perhaps it's church membership, perhaps it's baptism. Hopefully, it's about being saved and coming to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior.